Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for uh, just your grace and your mercy to us. You tell us your mercies are new every morning. So we thank you for the promise of this day, uh, that we have woken up to your grace and received your mercy afresh. We thank you that that comes by the grace of your Son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, we know that that same mercy, that same grace will be available to us tomorrow morning as we wake up and head off to work and, uh, and the next day and the next. And so we ask, Lord, now that you would inform us, equip us, uh, strengthen us to the task that you have called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have uh, been speaking of, of work the last uh, three weeks or so, and um, this is the last of a, a three-part series. It's been really helpful for me. Uh, just as I have thought about work, and, and it's helpful for me as a as a minister, a vocational minister, for, to think about my own work, but also to think about how the people to whom I am charged with ministering spend their best waking hours, and what does the church have to say about that? So, I appreciate uh, for those of you who have been to the classes and, and for you being here today that um, it helps me, but I hope it's helped you as well. Uh, one of the, some of the things that we have said in these last couple of weeks is that God made humanity to work. Uh, this work was given prior to the fall. Work is is not a result of the fall. We treat it that way sometimes. Um, you know, we're just aiming for retirement or a vacation or a weekend or whatever it is. But but we're actually given to work. It's part of. It's good and right that we find uh, joy and. Uh, satisfaction from uh, doing a job well done or for providing for our family that there is uh, because of that because there is dignity in in all work or all all types of work anyway because um, we were created to contribute and to produce and to grow and to create uh, not that we're uh, co-creators uh, I don't want to um, be confusing in that sense because God created in the sense that he spoke out of uh, and created all that there is out of nothing. And so we take what he has given us and we make new things out of it by his uh, inspiration. But we were, uh, that's part of our creation. But sin has curved us in on ourself. Um, we, uh, we make work into an idol such that we uh, seek from work the things that only God can really truly provide. We seek glory and satisfaction, fulfillment, and personal uh, identity. Um, and yet, uh, all of those things have been restored to us in Christ. That is the truth of the gospel over us. You have glory. You have identity. You have satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ. And so the gospel promise of uh, redemption, the gospel promise of restoration in Christ challenges us to ask, so what are we doing? What, what is it that we are working for uh, when we go to work? And last week we spent a lot of time in Colossians 3. Uh, it describes so beautifully the, um, the life of the Christian. And it's the whole life, not just nights and weekends, but uh, the whole life of the Christian. So if we were to put on compassion and humility and kindness, as Colossians 3 uh, exhorts us to, uh, we're to do that in our work environment as well. So, And actually the question was asked last week, well, how if I'm charged with... Um, Negotiation. How am I to have compassion? You know, when I am, I'm trying to get everything for my company. That's a great question, and I've been I've been actually wrestling with it this week. And we'll we'll begin to talk, but I'll, I'll give a better solution. I'll give a resource for a better solution than a solution that I can offer. Um, and we said last week that there. I just gave three examples that a way a Christian can live out their uh, Christian life in their professional life. That is uh, lives of integrity, 
uh, gospel-centered integrity uh, and be, being competent. That's a really important thing for a Christian to work towards. Um, and you know, gave a sort of a, uh, an example, how, do, how does a, a, a Christian pilot be a Christian pilot land the plane? You know, that's a really, um, you, you need to uh, do your job well. Uh, but, um, but again, what are we working for? Why are we trying to do well? That, that's always the fence that we're, that we're the balance that we have to hold. And then it gives us, lets us be people-oriented. Uh, more than anything, that um, that the bottom line is not necessarily the bottom line, although the bottom line is important, but the real bottom line is how are we treating people and what dignity uh, do we give them. So the, the class began uh, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I guess, um, we skipped a week, uh, rally day, uh, with the, uh, the possibility of a, a perceived dualism. Uh, we And that is that we are justified by our faith and not by our works. We're justified by the the grace given to us by the performance of Christ on the cross and not our own performance before God, and yet our best waking hours uh, are, are given to work where performance is everything. And I was uh, wondering if that might create sort of a, a dichotomy, and I think it, it does um, if we don't give some thought to how the two overlap. But I hope that we take away from this class uh, the two do overlap. Um, if we don't let them overlap, we operate from competing worldviews. We're outside of work. We, we believe that we're justified by faith. And inside of work, that, that doesn't really work, that worldview. So we create another worldview where um, you know, the, the, I, where performance is everything, where, where we're justified by our performance. Our identity is tied up in our performance. Uh, one says that I'm weak. I'm sinful before God. Uh, I need a Savior. One says, don't ever show your weakness. Hide your weakness. Be strong and don't need a Savior. Be the Savior. Um, and so the, but, but really, there's only one, because our, our whole lives are Christian. I mean, that's, the, that's the truth over us, is that our whole life is Christian. You're not um, saved for the next world uh, only. You're not saved for nights and weekends only. You're saved for your whole life. You're, Christ is your life and you're you are hidden, you are, not sometimes, you are hidden with God in Christ. And so um, so the true worldview, the Christian worldview, uh, can can and should be our whole life worldview. Um, and so it, that, that will reframe our conception of work. I want to ask uh, the question, how do, we, um, how do we lead? How do we lead? We landed last week with um, James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. But I want to um, to look at there's this episode from Mark, and it's in a couple of other gospels as well. But uh, the request of James and John, and um, and I, I'm no I'm I'm no leadership expert, um, and so I, I don't this isn't really intended to be a how-to of of leadership. Um, but but I would love some some conversation. But let me just. Um, read about um, the request of James and, and John. And James, so what, what has happened here is, uh, I'm actually going to read it from, from my Bible, because uh, what is going on is that they are on their way to uh, Jerusalem, and Jesus has just told them um, that he is going to die, and um, and he is going to be raised up. And so um, this is the third time he's told them this. So, so we're moving towards, in fact, um, 
after this passage, there's blind Bartimaeus, and then there's the triumphal entry. So they were almost to Jerusalem. Um, and and because he has just, Jesus has just told them that, that he is going to be delivered over to the chief priests and um, put to death, and then um, after three days he will rise. Because he's just told them, James and John said, well, our time is getting short. And you remember that James and John were, um, that they were the uh, part of the inner circle. And like we, we see in the transfiguration, Jesus goes up on the mountain, he takes three disciples with him, takes Peter, takes James and John. So these are the sons of Zebedee that, that Jesus had nicknamed the sons of thunder. Um, so uh, you might expect them to be a little rash sometimes, but here's what they do. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to, up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. So they kind of get, I mean, they. Jesus said, I'm going to go die at the first time. And Peter, remember what Peter did? He said, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. And, and Jesus turned his back on Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. And um, you're thinking of the things of, of man, not the things of God. James and John learned their lesson. They're not going to tell him he can't do that. But they kind of have gotten to the picture. Well, actually, what, that, what this is going to be is his, this is actually going to be Jesus' great glory because he's going to rise to life again. And, he, and, and we want to make sure we get on that train. So uh, J- they say, we, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. We want you to make us your vice regents, your vice presidents. We want to be uh, your... Um, your general and your admiral. We want to be uh, your number one and your number one. It is basically what, what they're asking. Uh, your your um, right-hand men. And so um, Jesus says, well, you, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or are you baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And of course, he's speaking of his death, but not just his death, but his total and complete separation uh, from God. The reason why Jesus sweat blood in the garden is because is in the anticipation of Him as the Son of God who was, sat on high and came down uh, from heaven uh, so that He might die for us. The first time He cried out, Father, um, why do you forsake me? And, and the skies were silent. That, God, that Jesus was completely separated, the Son of God completely separated from God. Um, it wasn't just his death, physical death, but an ad, almost a rip in divinity. And, um, and Jesus is saying, guys, you're, you're, um, you're asking for far more than you realize. Can you drink the cup of judgment? Maybe baptized with the suffering and the and the, the death, um, the separation from God. And they said to him, "We're able." And they're really sincere and really naive. Um, and Jesus said to them, "Well, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared." And when the ten heard it, the ten, that's the other ten, um, they began to be indignant 
at James and John. So, so James and John, they are they're, um, trying to be great in the kingdom of God. And their pursuit of their own greatness uh, causes a, a division, right? Right at the culmination of everything Jesus has been working towards. Uh, causes division among the ten. Well, Jesus, the great reconciler, brings the ten back together and says this. He says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life uh, as a ransom for many. Okay. Let's hear from the great prophet Calvin. Calvin says, the more... I think Bill, Bill Watterson, from what, everything I've heard about Bill Watterson, was, is a really weird guy. But he is a genius. Um... And he just understands humanity so well. Calvin says, the, the more you know, the harder it is to take decisive action. Once you become informed, you start seeing the complexities and shades of gray, and you realize that nothing is as clear and simple as it first appears. Ultimately, knowledge is paralyzing. Being a man of action, I can't afford to take that risk. And so, um, so he throws it away. Um, really, the... the, the uh, the first, well, Calvin, of course, says, you're ignorant, but at least you act on it. So, um, so then the second one, I'm so smart, it's almost scary. I guess I'm a child progeny. And then the last frame, people think it must be fun to be a super genius, but they don't realize how hard it is to put up with all the idiots in the world. And Calvin says, isn't your pant zipper supposed to be uh, zipped up in front? So, um, yeah. Oh, 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 supposed to be in the front. Yeah, supposed to be in the front. Um, the, the re- I just thought those were great. The leadership begins with how we view ourselves. Uh, not how we view our job or the task at hand. Uh, not even how we view others uh, in our charge, but how we view ourselves. Because how we view ourselves then determines how, how we view the others that we are uh, in relation to. So James and John are in the inner circle, but so is Peter. And they say, well, we, he's only got a right hand and a left hand. We... we we want it to be us. So they're cutting Peter out of the inner circle. They're seeking glory for themselves, and they really don't know what they're getting themselves uh, into, and it creates a division. Any, any just uh, reflections on that as, as we read James and John and, and uh, how we, uh, the idea that how we view ourselves um, is the beginning of, of leadership? Any thoughts that you have on that? How are you challenged by this? Your your, re- your first reading of this passage. I mean, do you think you're, you know, a steward in your job? I mean, mm-hmm. for instance, if you are head of a company, I mean, you've got all those people that are depending on <coughs> how you run things and mm-hmm. your decisions and so forth. Right. Do you think more about, you know, what's good for them or what's good for you? Okay. Good. Anything else? John? I've always thought it was easy for Jesus to say. You know, I mean, everybody knew he was the leader. And and I see that even in my life. And 
you know, it's easy. I'll take a tried example, but it's easy for me to go into the office and empty the dishwasher if I'm chairman of the company and I'm over 40% of the company. Mm -hmm. It's easy to be humble. What is difficult is when you're you're young and you're growing, and you're James and John and Peter's there too, mm -hmm. and two seats, you know, and it's like. Um, Am I willing to trust God to put me in that position? Mm -hmm. you know, and, or do I think I have to jockey for the position or get ahead of someone else? And, and so um, whenever I think for me, um, it, it's, it, I'll start where I ended. It just seems like it was easy for Jesus to say because mm -hmm. he was Jesus. He was the leader. Yeah. They, they were running across the lake to hear him, mm -hmm. not to see James or John or Peter. You know. But, but I will also say, I think what is what application does it have to me is, who am I depending on to find my place, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Well, yeah, I, I agree with what you said. Although I think it's it's pretty hard to have humility as the as the principal shareholder because if I am emptying the dishes I personally am wanting to make sure everybody sees that I'm emptying the dishes <laughs> so it's a for me at least to have a true humility is different than having a, doing a, a false humility where um, so so I I, th I mean I think you're right it, it would be at least in my mind and, and maybe you maybe maybe you guys probably aren't this way but I, I would be looking it would be a, I would be looking to serve in order to Gain my stature, um, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know if that's uh, the case for everybody, but that's that's the that's the balance for me. The other question that I keep mm -hmm. thinking about since you first started talking mm -hmm. is, what is? I mean, man is competitive by nature, mm -hmm. but is that sin? Because if you think about it, when you first start talking about the negotiation and you want to get all you can for your company, you're competing. Um, and is competition and the competitive nature and drive that that man has, which gets manifest in work in mm -hmm. a very blatant way. Is that bad? How is that godly, or you know what I mean? Well, I would say that as uh, in the as Paul said, um, everything is. Um, how do you say it? Uh, every everything is um, legal, but not everything is beneficial. Now that we're Christians, like we, our sin has been taken care of, mm -hmm. and we won't want to do things outside of His will. But we're not condemned by our missteps. Um, we are free in Christ. But what that what the gospel does, it should reframe how we look at that. I, I don't really know the answer to the question, um, although I would say that even in my negotiations, I don't want the demise of the other person. I, I just, I, I really, I want their best, which is not to say that I have their their best interest in mind at my own expense or, my, or the expense of my shareholders. I am, I am in charge of taking care of a certain number of people, and this person may not be one of those. Although I don't want, as a Christian, I don't want him to sink. You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, even 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 if you're a prosecuting attorney, like you you still want that person to be rehabilitated. You know, so um, so you still want the best. It just may not, you know, it may not be, ex it's, it's, it is like Calvin says, there's shades of gray, you know, 
what is what is it uh, what is right and what is best is not always clear clear cut. Uh, we are made we're made for glory. I mean that's what we were created for. It's not a, it is not a uh, sinful desire. It's just the fact we have to realize that we in our sinfulness we're going to make it about ourselves. And so so the um, so what we're going to get to in just a minute is how is our personal life with Christ informing how we how we do that. So the gospel uh, reframes our our worldview and our conception of our own work. What we said is that um, is that the gospel uh, because we are the law has been fulfilled on our behalf. It frees us to go out and serve God, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor. Uh, as ourselves, that's that's what we are able to do in our work uh, now. Uh, the gospel uh, d- declares that we are satisfied. That is so hard for me to remember as a father, as um, as an associate, uh, as um, just as a, as a man. It's hard for me to remember uh, that the gospel has declared that we are satisfied, which does not mean that every job we are doing means that we feel like we're operating at our full potential. Do you see the difference there? So, so we are. Uh, there may be things that you were created for that that have a, a broader wingspan than, um, or you may have a broader. Let me just say that a different way. You may have a broader wingspan in your competence than the task that you were given for. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't. I'm not saying that you shouldn't um, go and, and try to get into a position where you can really use your talents for the glory of God. But what I am saying is that the that even when we are given menial tasks, even when we are um, having to do um, something that that really isn't fitting our gifts or our passions, um, that the gospel truth of our satisfaction before God is still true about us, and we are free, therefore, to do what we're called, given to do with excellence. Um, and and again, excellence, competence is a ministry of the Christian. Uh, work is how God uh, provides for us and um, provides for us, but how God provides for others through us as well. Whether you're um, in a really glamorous sort of, you know, um, a, a, an industry where the, the world looks as glamorous or where you're sort of a industry the world might label as, as blue collar. It doesn't matter. Somebody needs those services and we're called to, to do those with, with excellence. Um, so the gospel declares that we're satisfied, and it, and so we can approach work again from a place of, of service. It allows us also to be patient, and this is where I think you were speaking to, John. Um, the gospel allows us to be patient and to serve in the meantime. So if if our job as Christians is to humble ourselves before the Lord and let Him do the exalting, that mean you don't apply for bigger and better jobs, but but that that we hold what we are given lightly, and that we are we. Uh, rest upon rest lightly upon what we are given to do. So if we're given to do something early on, which we think isn't really fit in our talents, then we can we can do do that with excellence and um, be patient, um, serving in the meantime, allowing God for, uh, to exalt us. Um, that is hard. It's hard not to sort of look out and look beyond, and it's not a bad thing, but to but to hold that patience. Um, hold that gospel truth about us is is a discipline, to say the least. Um, the gospel frees us to value uh, personal relationships and partnerships. 
And so, whether it's someone who's on the other side of the negotiating table, or whether it's someone who's in our in our care, um, the gospel truth about us means that we can live into those people and treat them with um, grace. Uh, there's a great uh, example of a guy in, uh, in my former church in Charleston, and he was a really competent guy, a lot of energy, great ideas, and he was the general manager of a Chevrolet dealership. And I tried every which way to get him more involved in the life of the church. He was a really faithful guy. Uh, I just really enjoyed him, and I, I felt like if more people knew him, the more things he could do, he would just really contribute to the life of the church. But actually, the more I got to know him, the more I realized that he was doing his ministry in, in the dealership. Um, it was the time he spent back in the, uh, in the back with the guys in the service department, or the ways that he, uh, he would um, figure out ways to get cars and give them to people um, who needed them, and he would do everything he could to keep that anonymous. He would, um, he would I remember a particular incident where he cared for uh, someone who was, um, they had fallen in their, in their apartment and, c- and couldn't get to their cell phone or something. Anyway, he showed up at their house because they hadn't showed up at work and ended up taking it. It was just it was this constant ministry of care for the people that he was that were working for him. And I kind of realized after a while, I'm just going to let that be your ministry. And I'm going to, as a, I have to, I have to, I'm going to let that be good until God calls you to something else. Um, so he was really valuing the personal relationships and using his office to live into the people that were under his care and, and to care for them. And, you know, it's funny, like, as he was doing that, he was still taking care of the bottom line because he knew that he, he wasn't taking care of the bottom line, he wasn't able to take care of the people. He was still taking care of the policies and his customers. Um, but in the midst of all that, he got several offers to go to bigger dealerships and um, in the conglomerate that he was, uh, and he just felt, at least when, at the time that I left, he just really felt like these were his people. This this was the time, that this was the place that he was called to be. So that was interesting. He just felt really free to do what he was called to do right right there. Um, the last thing I'd say is that the gospel even allows us to be happy for someone who is elevated above our current station. Um, again, uh, that's a, a, a difficult thing. But if the truth is that God has given us what we are given to do and he's in charge of our lives, then when someone else, again, if assuming there's fairness, assuming that person didn't, you know, the stepson of the, who, you know, I mean, assuming there's fairness involved, we can be happy for them uh, and can be free to do what we're given to do. And so we, we serve and we gain in confidence. We serve and we grow in confidence. We serve and we grow in confidence. And then good things are going to happen professionally. As, as we keep our eyes on the Lord and the task that he's given to us, we grow in our confidence. Good things are going to happen. The problem is I can't promise what good things. And redefining the good things is is important. What, what does, that, does that mean? The good things happen to do with our uh, bank account or the, our, the schools our kids go to or, or whatever it is. Or is the good things, the, the blessing of the Lord that comes through the experience in the relationship? Or maybe us all of it. I can't guarantee what the good things are. All I can guarantee is that if we serve the Lord um, the, the good th- and grow in our competence, then good things are going to happen. Any, any feedback or pushback on that, what I've said? So, the gospel declares that we're satisfied, that we can be patient and serve that we value personal relationships. Um, 
Yeah. If I may. Sure. I think we just have to accept the fact kind of too, that we're in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. And um, however we measure success, um, we shouldn't expect that it's going to work out fairly. And, and, and so I'm just saying, it's well, it doesn't have to be fair as long as it works out to our advantage, right? I think one of the things that is, a, I wish I, I hope I, I would like to instill into my children, mm -hmm. like the lady said in Memphis, where it's a broken world, it's mm -hmm. a fallen world, and um, that doesn't mean you sit down and whine, you go to work. But at the end of the day, it's our relationship with Christ, mm -hmm. and it's our relationship with others. And um, when you push against that as you're climbing the ladder, mm -hmm. but at some point, I think you just realize. I think it's important to realize that it's a it's a fallen world. Yeah, we uh, we went to a, in, in Charleston. We went to a, a um, pediatric practice that that was specifically Christian. They were very very good doctors, but they were, they really they were all involved in medical missions and really involved in their churches. And uh, one time, I, we brought Caroline in. Uh, we had an appointment for Caroline, but Thomas had gotten really sick that morning, and so we brought them all in and we said, "Hey, I know this is Caroline's appointment. Can you take a look at Thomas?" We've actually had an experience at, at the, you know, the clinic or whatever, the emergency room clinic, um, one time where uh, the weekend clinic where the doctor said, "You know, you're going to have to make an appointment." and wouldn't wouldn't treat the other child, but this um, this doctor said said um, you know we pray every morning that we'll be prepared for what God brings us, and so I'd be happy to see Thomas. I mean he charges for it, but um, but it was great. You know he just well we're just working in and and no problem. So that was uh, he um, they said their prayers and they um, walked in that and trusting that God had heard their prayers and, and they were really receptive to it. What I always try to tell my staff and, and their ministry staff, well, no, I'm sorry, they are church staff in, involved in, in ministry, um, that the fuel for our ministry is our own personal relationship with the Lord. And, and you know, don't go minister to youth or, or planning things for the nursery or doing small groups or teaching um, if you are not prepared personally with the Lord, what you do with the Lord is going to fuel that. You're going to, um, that's where you're going to get your ideas. That's where you're going to um, get your peace. Um, and, and so, I mean, that has to be true about all of us if what we do in the world is what God has given us to do. You can't hold the balance. You can't be happy for someone else when they get elevated beyond your station. Uh, you can't um, see, uh, people as people rather than as commodities unless you are with the Lord. When, um, and even then it's still hard, but it's, it's, it's that constant just routine uh, personal devotional discipline uh, that is the key or a key to holding the Christian worldview throughout our days. Um, when uh, it prepares you uh, not just to come to church on, morning, uh, on Sunday morning, but um, when the crisis phone call comes at two in the afternoon from your business partner, or uh, when the um, when your in, when the insurance rep says, you know, we're up in our, our bills and you can't pay it, or whatever it is that um, that it comes comes to you in your business, it's that personal uh, prayer and Bible study fellowship 
and worship. Acts, the last verse I have there, Acts um, 42, uh, Acts 2, 42 and 43. Uh, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So they devoted themselves to the doctrine, the, t- the apostles' teaching, to community, to the fellowship, and to worship. That's the breaking of bread and the prayers. Um, they devoted themselves to that. As we devote ourselves there, um, then we will, uh, we just remember that it comes uh, into into the workplace. Um, I mentioned this book a few times. Um, Every good endeavor we have it in our bookstore. It's a, it's the best thing I've seen on. Um, it's, the subtitle is connecting your work and God's work. Um, he's interviewed several doctors. He's just talking about the medical field, and he has this quote from. Um, he said, several doctors told me that, that only the gospel enabled them to see the traits of pride, cynicism, and detachment that were creeping into their own characters. And so they're looking at their own character and what their work is doing to them and that it through the gospel lens. And, um, and one said, in the early days of a medical career, you work such enormous hours that your prayer life just dries up. That is deadly. Only if Jesus stays real to the heart can you be consistently joyful enough in Him to avoid making medicine your whole self-worth? Well, that's just—that's not just a medical problem. That's a people problem. Um, if only if Jesus stays real to the heart, can you be consistently joyful enough in Him to avoid making your career your whole self-worth? Um, it is a really um, important discipline. Uh, whether it's the Bible in a Year program or uh, small groups or all, any combination of those things, um, to be growing in your uh, in your faith and drawing on that, uh, drawing from that and bringing that into your work. Um, I want to kind of run short on time on, in terms of uh, talking about vocation. Um, just simply to say this: the vocation is. Um, I was going to talk about a little bit about calling and um, and a few ideas about that, but just I'll say just say this is that vocations are like marriages. Is that I think you, we pretty much any of us can make just about anything work, except some are going to be better than others, and some things we're more compatible with. And um, but so we can do it. It just may be harder for some than others. So like I would be a terrible accountant, but I could probably do it. It just I just wouldn't be, you know. There's other people a lot more compatible with that. So if you're, I guess the reason I say that is because um, it sounds like a downer on marriage, doesn't? I don't mean it that way. Um, the um, the uh, it doesn't mean you have to get out if you're if you're in something that you that doesn't satisfy you. A friend of mine said one time, you have to love what you do or why you do it. Now, he was a um, an OSHA um, he was an OSHA rep for uh, for uh, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company, and he didn't love what he did, but he loved the opportunities it provided for his family and the flexibility and things like that. So um, there's more to say about vocation. The last thing I really want to say though, and I'm going to skip over that, just to talk about um, just to ask the question: What would it look like to have an entrepreneurial spirit within your field? Not that you're an entrepreneur in the sense you're going out and starting new businesses. Maybe that's your field, but um, that as a Christian, that you are um, what what might God 
be able to do through you in your field. Um, uh, uh, for, the, for the flourishing of, of your company, for the flourishing of your industry, for the flourishing of your own faith or for the faith of others. What might God be able to do through you? Uh, I wonder if that is... Um, I just think of all the talent and all the uh, at the advent, just just in our little enclave. Uh, we have so many. For instance, we have a lot of lawyers. I mean, what what would it look like to have lawyers um, gather together on a on a regular basis, and um, at the advent and talk about um, what it means to be a, a Christian lawyer and to just over lunch just talk about that or real estate or it doesn't have to be just advent members what what if we did that in the uh among folks just open forum come if you want to bring a sandwich um in, in your workplace uh, whatever industry we have in, just in this room like 10 different industries represented what would it look like if um if we opened ourselves to um a ministry of availability for the flourishing of our company some it might look like Opportunities for witness, bearing witness to Christ in the workplace, which is a terribly scary thing. I understand all the implications of that. Um, some it might look just simply for excellence and integrity. Some it might look uh, like um, Bible study. Some it might look like um, justice, bringing policies about in, that are in line with keeping for good people, uh, good for people. So, um, so I just wonder. If we really open ourselves to the leading of God's Spirit, uh, what God might do in a sort of an entrepreneurial flourishing um, in our faith. Any quick thoughts on that before we... i got to go to church, but I just wonder if we have any quick thoughts on, on what that might look Just a, an idea or a, something like pop in your mind. Yeah, Catherine. Um, Barry McRae was one that set that example living his faith mm-hmm. and people would come to him close the door and say you know I haven't believed for a long time mm-hmm. but setting but living his example brought other people to at least question and mm-hmm. see what what it's like to live your faith in your work yeah God really gifted him in a particular way that that, um, that he was really open uh, in such a way that guys just felt comfortable coming and talking, and he was willing to do that. So that's, that's a, that is one great way, for sure. What might, what might it look like for you? I don't, you don't, have to, don't need to answer that, but I, I do hope that you will take away, uh, A, that the, the God's blessing over you and your faith in Him carries all the way through, and that God has given you the particular tasks to do. You're in your vocation because He's created you in that particular way. And that, um, and that there is a purpose for you there, not just for your own flourishing, but for the flourishing of many others. And what might it look like if, if you took that a step further? Um, and it might look like more work, and you might just say, I'm good where I am right now. But um, and that like, for Amy, like Amy is an incredible physical therapist, my wife. She has absolutely no aspirations to any sort of executive, anything. She's a mom. She supports me. She is just being a physical therapist allows her to do the things that she loves. What she does, but she also loves what it allows her to do. And she that's and that's really there's such I think there's great dignity in that. So the answer is going to be different for each person. 
but I just um, I hope we'll keep asking the question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this. Uh, thank you for your blessing on our whole life. Uh, let us be free. And, um, and we ask, Lord, for your uh, spirit to guide us and the courage to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.